You listen to a different podcast about how to parent, and you try new things, and you get really excited, and then they don't work, and you're still frustrated, and your parenting still feels a little bit like you're on a treadmill. Here's what I know, and here's what I've seen as someone who can identify with that. I mean, I've had seasons in which I felt stuck and stagnant and felt like I was on a machine like this, is that many of us spiritually live life the same way. Many of us even treat following Jesus like a treadmill. Maybe there's short bursts of spirituality. There's short bursts of passion. There's excitement and joy and energy. There's seasons where we almost can't contain our joy and the adventure of following Jesus. But there's some seasons we just wish we could get off and move on and do something different. And, and there's seasons in which our lives maybe wrestle with the exact same sin patterns that we did 10 years ago. And there doesn't feel like there's a real sense of, of freedom or victory or even transformation. You feel like you may be the exact same person. Maybe for you it's just a cycle of broken relationship after broken relationship. And your life feels, man, I'm on a treadmill. I haven't really gained any ground when it comes to that. And if you dig deeper, kind of on the inside of all of us, there may be a sense when it comes to that treadmill life that there's confusion. There's anger, there's frustration, maybe there's moments and seasons of high stress and high anxiety and high confusion and difficulty engaging in spiritual disciplines like scripture and prayer and even worship when you show up today and you're like, why are they wearing race bibs? Like there's just, you're just so used to what is normal that your life has moved maybe 100 miles an hour but gone nowhere. You really haven't covered any ground. And I think at the core of all those things, whether it's the things you can see on the outside or the things that you experience on the inside, there's a simple question that whether you follow Jesus for 10, 15, 20, or maybe six months that you have encountered. And it's this question, will I ever gain ground spiritually? Or will my life continue to be on the cycle like a treadmill? Will I ever gain ground spiritually? And if so, now if the answer for you is yes, there is a potential for me to gain ground, to actually cover some miles spiritually and move off the treadmill. How would I do that? Like, what, what kind of thing could I implement? I mean, what, what's the, the silver bullet? What do I need to do? Tell me. And I think for all of us, again, no matter where you're at on the spiritual spectrum, you might want to know that answer. Like, how do I actually move and, and continue to grow and transform in who I am in Christ? This exact same question was asked by the Apostle Paul. He experienced a life as, as a religious leader of doing all the right things and, and showing up to church and even honoring God with his finances and following God in the law. And yet, he was at the same place spiritually as he ever had been. And yet, God, he's walking on the road doing his daily thing. You may know this story. And God shows up on the road to Damascus, this highway road. And he shows up in a powerful way. He literally opens the heavens to, to reveal himself to Paul. And this guy's name was Saul before. God renames him, transforms his identity. But that encounter was so contagious, so transformative for Paul, that he began to tell everybody about it. He just couldn't hold it in. Like there was a transformation so deep. He had moved from a treadmill type life to really covering ground spiritually and knowing what it meant to follow Jesus as an adventure. And everything shifted for him. Everything changed. And so Paul literally went. We have 
a, a huge chunk of the New Testament because Paul couldn't quit telling people about this encounter with the risen Jesus. He was transformed. His character was different. He had gained ground spiritually. And so he embarks on what we call missionary journeys. He's sent out on mission with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and he goes all over the place. I mean, he covers so much of the known world at the time, just communicating the gospel, the good news about the risen Jesus. So he's writing to these groups of people because he, he wants to encourage them. He wants to help them move from this kind of life to one that gains ground spiritually. And so we read in 1 Corinthians, this, this city that was racked with people who had extreme sin patterns, who had some very difficult times, and who had maybe been aware of Jesus but hadn't been transformed and changed by him. So he's writing to them, and he writes this letter. And I would encourage you today, maybe you never do this, but I would encourage you to pull out your Bible or device to which you can actually follow the scriptures along because my prayer and my hope and my expectation for you today is that on today, July 1st, Runday, Sunday, when things are a little bit quirky and different, that God would speak to you and that the scriptures would speak to you. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is exhorting. He's strongly encouraging the Corinthians to gain ground spiritually, and he points it out in this imagery. You see it if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. Sounds like a treadmill. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul's writing this, encouraging the Corinthians, these people, to gain ground spiritually, not to run aimlessly, not to be like a boxer punching the air and gaining no real physical strength, but to run with purpose, to fight with purpose, to live with a different purpose, to move off the treadmill and gain ground spiritually. Now, what I love about Scripture is the more you uncover, the better it gets. You know this, right? The more you dig in, the more you explore, the more you study, the better it gets. And when you dive into this city, this place, this area of Corinth, every other year they held something called the Ismithian Games. And the Ismithian Games were somewhat like Olympics in that people gathered from all over the region and trained rigorously for 10, 12, 24 months to compete in these games. And so whether it was the javelin toss or the high jump or the race or wrestling or American Idol, I'm serious. Like, they really had a singing competition. Corinthian Idol, maybe. I don't know. That could be a thing. But Corinthian Idol, any poetry, I mean, all these kind of artistic and also athletic elements were held in the Ismithian Games. Now, like I said, hundreds, thousands of people gather in this area of Corinth to come and attend these games. Now, Paul was a tent maker. Paul was there. Paul was making money off this. Like, he was bivocational. He preached the gospel but built tents in his extra time so that he could fund his mission. And so Paul likely would have been in Corinth during these games. He understood. He knew what the Ismithian games were all about. And so every time somebody would crown the victor, they kind of make this like wreath. I don't know. It kind of looks like something out of Christmas. But this wreath, this would be put on the heads, and they'd leave, and it was good, and they had the bragging rights. But a couple weeks would probably go by, and after that wreath is sitting on your mantle for a while, 
starts to stink and it's nasty and it breaks down. Like there's really not much left. Similar to the Olympics. I didn't know this, but gold medals are actually silver medals plated in gold. They're not even fully gold, which is like, come on. Like next time I win one, I'm going to be a little bit mad. But I, I didn't know that. But it really is more of a symbol. It's more of a signifier. And Paul is saying, don't just live your life for those kind of awards. Don't live life with the achievements the career markers, maybe the status or the neighborhood or the backyard that you think will bring you success and victory. And it uses the imagery of running. It's why we call it today Run Day Sunday, because we wanted to dive into this. But all throughout the scriptures, Hebrews talks about running the, the race of faith. Isaiah talks about the fact that as, as spiritual people, we can actually have a life with God that helps us to run and not grow weary. The Psalms talk about, I run in the way of your commands. The Proverbs says to run in the path of wisdom. You can look in Timothy, the other letters that Paul has written. And he again encourages these young leaders, these young Christians, keep running. Don't lose heart. Fan the flame. Keep going. Like Push on. Keep endurance before you. Pursue Jesus with all that you have. And so Paul is writing this to the Corinthians saying the same thing. These athletes who would compete... In these Midian games, they knew what it meant to really train. See, for 10 months at least, and very similar to the Olympics, they would kind of put their life on hold. Maybe some of them would even leave their family to go to a specific area in training, much like people do when they train for an Ironman. There's people that move across the country to go to places like Boulder or Tucson where they can really train in all three disciplines of racing and swimming and biking. Kind of the same thing. They would put their life on hold and everything would be centered around their training. They'd be locked in because there was victory on the line. There was their hometown's bragging rights at stake. And so Paul is writing to them. Now, if you underline or you circle or you highlight or you star in your Bible, I want you to capture some of the phrases Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 9. The first one is right here in verse 24. You see it. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? We get that, right? All of us in life are running. All of us are living. We're pursuing something. But he says only one gets surprised. And so with that in mind, run. Run. Run in such a way as to get the prize. What's the prize? The prize for Paul was Christ. The Paul, for Paul, the mission that drove him, the life that he wanted to live was that that sought after and literally clung to Christ. He writes in Philippians that to live is Christ. Like it doesn't get any more rudimentary than that. To live is Christ. And so he says, run away to get the prize. And that for us, even as people that follow Jesus, should be about our motive. Our motive for life should be to run in a way that gets the prize, that pursues Christ. The other phrase you want to highlight is in verse 26. There's a word, and you probably have heard this phrase, but when you see therefore in Scripture, you should look for what it's there for. Like, you may have heard that before, but that's a helpful way to remember that that word is important. In verse 26, it says, therefore, I do not, negative statement, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I run in such a way as to get the prize. He points out not only motive, but there's an element of training in there. There's an element of self-control in there. There's an element of surrender. I don't know if you've ever felt in your own life like you're running aimlessly. I remember years would go by. 
in my life spiritually, and I just felt like I was running aimlessly. It's like, man, I'm doing the same things but getting zero results. Have you felt like that before? Have you felt that your life was on a treadmill and really years go by and you're the same person with the same sin, with the same issues, with the same brokenness, with the same kind of patterns that you see, habits? Maybe New Year's comes around, you're like, this is the year, baby. I'm going to make a change. Maybe it even comes to fitness, right? I'm going to make a change. I'm going to eat different. I'm going to live and train different. And then it's June, and it's sunny, and your pool is nice, and your hot dogs and hamburgers just smell too good. You're like, all right, forget it. I'm throwing away the kale, and I'm bringing on the hot dog, right? Like, there's maybe moments like that. But all of us probably have had a sense, and it may be creeping even now in your own life, that you're running aimlessly. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't fall into the trap of running aimlessly. And so the key to that, he then shares in verse 27. He gives us the way. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body. Think of a boxer or an MMA fighter. Literally half of their training is actually fighting other people, right? There's constant blows to the body. I don't know if you know who Conor McGregor is, but maybe the undisputed best MMA fighter ever. And he's standing there, and there's this documentary. I don't know if you've seen this. He's standing there, and like for minutes on end, there's his training partner just going after him, literally just punching him in the abs, which I have one, so it's a little more difficult. He's got six to hit. I've got one. But when, when I watched that, I was like, man, that's brutal. Like, what a jerk. And then I was like, but wait a second. What does he do for a living? He fights. So why wouldn't you in training live out that same kind of mechanism? Why wouldn't you go for it? And similar, if you've run a race before, I don't know what the farthest you actually ran was or, or what you were willing to admit was earlier, but in the same way, it would be ludicrous for you to walk up to the Grand Rapids Marathon with zero training and zero runs involved and be like, I'm going to make this happen. Like, we would be like, what? Are you delusional? Like, that is not going to work. You've got to learn to train. In verse 27, it says, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, because Paul's assuming that your life gaining ground spiritually is not just about you. It's about a, a, a compassion and a, and a kind of fervor for other people to know God and to gain ground spiritually. So that I have, after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Disqualified, that's a strong word. Disqualified in the pursuit of following Jesus Paul says that that's a possibility, like that metaphor plays out. And so he says, you have to train in such a way. That word body, I want you to circle that or highlight that in verse 27. When he says, no, I strike a blow to my body, it's that Greek word soma. And soma is kind of the representative word in the Greek language, especially in biblical Greek, for the word body or fleshly desires or kind of our instinctive nature Think of it this way, soma or the body in the scriptures is essentially everything you want apart from Christ. Everything that you desire pre-Christ in your life, pre-change, pre-grace, pre-transformation, those are what soma kind of captures, those things. And so he's saying, I strike a blow to those things, and I take them out. I, I control those desires, and, and everything I want apart from Christ is exactly what Satan will use to manipulate you again and again and again. Maybe you feel that. Maybe part of that running aimlessly in your own life is that, that sense that, man, those things that I want are often what Satan steps in and manipulates and leverages to keep me away 
from what God wants. And Paul recognizes that again and again, especially in this book and in Romans as well. He points out this idea that those things are going to continue to pull you away. They're going to tear at you. They're going to take you away from what God wants. And you've got to make those your slave. You've got to wrestle those and, and rein them in like a boxer training for a match. And so with all that said, it's like, man, what do you do with that, right? Like, what, where do I go from here? And I'm going to assume maybe that some of you do want to gain ground spiritually. And that some of you have heard Paul's words before and you know that at the core, that's your desire. And maybe your subtitle, even above that passage in your Bible, says the need for self-discipline, which is like, ooh, July 1st, that sounds fun. Like, can't wait. Like, I can't wait. But as you look at that, here's what I think Paul is saying. That if Soma, the body, all the things that kind of keep us away from God are anti-training, that there's also another side to it. There's a way that you and I actually could gain ground spiritually, could get off the treadmill and move forward in our life with Christ, to not be complacent with being stuck. And it's this. If you want to run well, you have to train well. If you want to run well, you have to train well. Again, that sounds very basic, but some of the most profound things that God will do is in your moments of training. When you get to the end of your life and you can hear from God, your father say, well done, good and faithful runner, I mean servant. Like those are the kind of things that training well will do. And I, again, I don't know what your experience is with running. You may hate it. You may be like, I didn't come to think about coming to church today because I heard the word run, like I'm anti-everything physical. That may be you and you can admit that. At least you made it here, right? That's good. But here's what I know is that if you want to run well, you have to train well. And here's where training breaks down for many of us, especially spiritually. Most of us will never determine when we will train well. And that may sound so basic, but if you want to run well, you have to train well. And that means that you and I will choose to determine, we will make a decision about when we will train, when we will exercise, when we will get some runs in, when we will change our diet and how we're going to eat. Like all of those things, if you're training the Smithian games, you understood that. Like there was a clear when, 10 months or more, I'm going to leave, I'm going to do this. They set up times, they carved out times and just, it sounds simple, but it's the same for following Jesus. Even in the summer season that you may be in, that we're in, you have to determine when you will train. It would be crazy for, again, you to show up to a marathon and, and be like, hey, I really want to run this. I've got all the desire. I bought all the clothes. I got brand new shoes. Like, I got the bib on. I'm ready to go. But if you haven't trained, there's a very, very minute chance that you will finish that race. Many people don't finish the race that do train somewhat. There's a very low percentage in the world for people that could complete those kinds of distances, but you have to determine when you will train. It, it wasn't a matter of desire for the people that can't finish those races. They all wanted it. Everyone starts out at the beginning of their Christian life wanting to be a new person, wanting to share their faith, wanting to really know the scriptures, wanting to pray with some kind of power behind it, but many people break down when it comes to the when. You've got to determine when you'll train because if you want to run well, you have to train well. And so, I don't know how you refer to it, 
But as I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this, or maybe you demonstrate this, I know some of you do, there's really one specific way that you can hone in on the answer to that question, when you will train. And it's to pick a allotted amount of time and do that every single day. Now, this may be, again, really basic, and it's really applicational. But if you want to train well, you determine when and you stick to that. It's a habit you build in. And over time, year after year after year, you will find yourself being transformed. I remember I was listening to a sermon. This is probably three or four years ago. And the very first time I ever heard that there was actually importance or an urgency to my when was when someone used this phrase. You may be familiar with it. It's this phrase, chair time. Someone shared that phrase with me, and I was like, that sounds really exciting. <laughs> like, that's what following Jesus is all about, chair time. Like, I'm in. Like, I need to get a better chair then. But he, he shared that, and I was listening to it, and it started to click. I don't know what it was, but maybe God was speaking to me through that computer screen. And it started to click about, I didn't have a set chair time. I, I didn't have, like, any kind of discipline when it came to those things. I was way more kind of spontaneous with it. Some days I'd read and pray and reflect for an hour. Other days I wouldn't. There'd be weeks on end in which I hadn't ever opened my Bible. And it just, it struck me. Do I have chair time? Do I have 15 minutes? And this is how he broke it down. Do I have 15 minutes in which I can read, reflect, and receive from God? Do I have a time in which I'm engaging in the scriptures? I'm reading. Do I have time in which I'm reflecting, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm receiving God? And do I have a time specifically to receive? Do I have time to be quiet, to be still, to meditate, to think, to really ponder what is God doing and how can I align my life with that? Read, reflect, and receive. And I thought about that when I came to cheer time. And I was like, you know what, this may sound really basic, and I'm going to let you in on a secret. When I heard that, I was a pastor. I was a full-time, on-the-payroll pastor. And I heard about that, and I was like, I don't have a when. It's kind of spirituality is my job, and yet I felt like I was living on one of these. And so I decided I'm going to break it into five minutes. I'm going to read for five. I'm going to reflect for five. I'm going to receive God for five. And I started to do that, and friends, I changed. See, before I had wrestled with kind of a lack of discipline, a, a creeping sense of laziness, what the Bible calls sloth, like just a lack of desire, kind of a rising sense of apathy. And I started to notice that my friendships were not as strong as they once were. My marriage was a lot more high tense and stressful than I thought it would be. And I wasn't finding joy in ministry. Physically, I was gaining weight. I mean, just real practically, I just, I wasn't in alignment with what I knew God wanted for my life. I wasn't training well. It had everything to do with the when and nothing to do with my desire. So I started implementing that. I started living like that. I started deciding this is how it's going to look. I'm going to set this up. And so even now, I have a time in which I, I journal, I, I reflect, and it takes a tool. It's called a five-minute journal. I literally read through this and I work through it. I did it this morning. I did that for years, for the last couple of years with different journals, and I started to read the scriptures. I have a devotional that's like a paragraph long, and then it has a scripture, and I decide I'm going to read the whole chapter, or read the chapter, and then I pray. I just sit there, and I think, and I reflect, and I'm still before I do anything, and I had to determine a when, and so for me, it was best in the office or when I was about to start work. 
right before. Those 15 to 30 minutes are just dedicated every single day to that. And so I decided I'm going to do that. And years went by, and I, if I look back now, it actually took me getting ready for today to look back and see that there were some significant changes. There were some very deep transforming works that, that the Spirit had done in my life. And I looked back, I said, what changed? Like, what was the actual difference maker? What was the plan that I decided to enact? And it was chair time. It was having a when. It had nothing to do with how much I wanted to be like Jesus and wanted to go far for him in the kingdom of God, but everything to do with my own training, my own discipline. And so for you, that may look like chair time. Maybe it's a practice you already do that just needs to be changed up. Maybe it's something you start. Maybe chair time for you is five minutes a day of just opening the scriptures and, and praying and, and asking God. Maybe it's getting a friend who say, let, who says with you, let's do it together. Like for six months, let's do it together. Maybe it's joining a group in the fall and getting invested in those. Maybe there's other things that you and I could do. But here's what I know as a pastor, as a leader, and even as your friend, that I trust the Christ within you to help you figure out what that needs to look like. I trust the Holy Spirit is speaking to you even now about what that means for you. And it's probably not going to look like my training. Because I'm different, I'm wired different. There's things that, that I do that maybe would drive you nuts and wouldn't actually help you follow Jesus. And I don't want you to do those, but I trust the Christ within you to know and to respond to those things. So whether it's those three hours, maybe it's something different. Here's what I don't want. I, I don't want your life to be like this. Constantly in the same place. Constantly stuck spiritually, feeling... A sense. Maybe even there's, there's periods of your life, I bet, in which you, you kind of fire this thing up and you start walking and it feels good, like you're staying consistent. And there's almost those short bursts of spirituality, right? Those moments in which you feel good. Maybe you feel close to God. Maybe scripture reading is going really, really well. You're hearing him. You're feeling like, oh man, every time I walk outside, I see God. Maybe it's creation. There's things you notice. And then a crisis hits. Something goes wrong. You don't feel God. You decide that this isn't for me, and you turn it off. You sit there. You're frustrated. You're broken. You're not sure why. Maybe you even decide, I'm, I'm done. You pull the plug, and you walk away from faith. You stop going to church. There's all these things. And then something ha happens, or you hear a message, and you're like, oh, man, I need to get back. Like, I need to, I need to fire that back up. Like, that's what I need. I need to train well and you maybe implement that in your life and there's some of you maybe even for years on end in which you're like I'm not just walking this thing like I am actually going like I am really learning what it means to train well like I'm doing it like I really feel like man I'm taking steps forward I'm growing in Christ I'm loving church maybe I start to tithe I'm giving I'm volunteering there's others of you maybe felt like I called a ministry you start running you're going for it like you really know what it means to follow Jesus and bam, a crisis hits and you're like, I'm out. And you stop and you're still the same place you were. Despite the short bursts of spirituality, despite the increased desire and passion, you're still in the same place. Friends, I don't want you to live there. What I want you to do is to get off the treadmill. Get off the treadmill. Gain ground. There's a huge difference in my mind and probably in yours of people that run 
100 miles on this treadmill and a Planet Fitness somewhere, and that's still a big feat. Like, don't get me wrong, that's a big deal. There's a massive difference between that and running 100 miles on some, on some pavement, on some dirt, on some trails, through some mountains. There's a big difference geographically between those two things. And friends, Paul, your pastor, your friend, I know the people around you spiritually would say the same thing. I want you to gain ground. I want you to know the joy and adventure and the passion that come from following Jesus and the ground you actually can gain, the transformation you can live, the joy that you will find in training will far surpass any amount of desire you may have in fleeting moments, in high kind of bursts of energy and spirituality. Some of you just need to get off the treadmill today and say, I'm, I'm done with that. I want to live. I want to find the when, and I want to live into that. I want to train well. I don't want to throw away the summer spiritually. I want to really engage. And you can do that in a couple real simple ways. I mean, it could be chair time. It could be committing to, to show up here on a Sunday and continue to hear and experience God's word. Maybe for you, it's joining that justice journey that we'll do online starting next weekend. All those things. Maybe it's one of those, maybe it's something brand new and different that, that I'm not even aware of. Like, again, I trust the Christ within you to help you navigate that. But what I want to do is pray for you and set up a time as we move into a time of some worship together of helping you move and gain ground spiritually. And selfishly, I want to pray for you. That's my hope and my aim, my desire for you. As someone who's been where you are and had seasons in which I was running on a treadmill, gaining no ground but exhausted at the same time, I want to learn how to gain ground with you. So I'd love to pray for you and lead us into a time of response and then we'll close, we'll go home, but nothing will change unless you decide today to train well. So let's pray. Father, my prayer is as the Apostle Paul's prayer was for the Corinthians. Lord, we want to know what it's like to run well, to come to the end of a life and finish a race and win in such a way and run in such a way as to get the prize. And that prize is you. It's you. You are what we want. So God, I, I pray that in this moment, I just sense that even in this room, that there may be people who never have really decided to follow you, to surrender to you, to commit their lives, to maybe step into the water of baptism, to do some significant things that would help them to move forward with you spiritually and to gain ground. God, I pray that whether it's through these moments or chair time or something else, that you would help this summer to be like no summer before and that we would know what it means, whether it's as a reminder through Run Day Sunday or giving over our running shoes or whatever it is, to gain ground spiritually. Thank you that your spirit is with us, that you encourage us, that you're not only our coach but you're our comforter when there's seasons of pain where there's seasons of suffering where there's scenes of muscle fractures spiritually God and, and, and fracturing of our own kind of what we thought about what it means to train God I thank you that you're with us that you're running beside us encouraging us cheering us on as we seek to win the prize which is you 
God, I pray in these moments that you'd speak to us. Thank you that you give us hope, that you're alive and active, that because of what you've done on the cross and through the risen Jesus, that you are changing us. You're transforming us. You're allowing us to hear and see you. We pray it all in the strong and the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Brendan's going to lead us through just a couple songs before we close up and go home and continue on with our lives. But my prayer is for you, that you would really know what it means to not only want to run well, but to train well. And I know that God is probably speaking to some of you even this morning. I trust that he's doing that. And so you see these kind of really cheesy medals that are up here, and they're not meant to like actually give you an award for the step you're making, but they're meant to be a symbol, to be a reminder. Maybe you put them on your mirror or in your car or at your desk or wherever. But if you know that the kind of difference maker for you would be to learn to train well and you want to commit to a when of following Jesus, I'm going to encourage you during the song to come up and grab a medal. I don't want you to feel like you all have to do it. I don't want you to feel pressured that you need to do it just because someone else is. But there's probably some of you today that just doing that tangible, physical step would start to change things, would start to give you that desire and that commitment to, to establish a when for following Jesus. And so I'm going to turn it over to Brendan as he leads us through this song. And it talks about the hope we have. It talks about the fact that we have victory because what Jesus has done. And that's what we really need to commit to that. So I'm going to step down. I'm going to grab a medal because I need to continue to commit to that. And then I'm going to invite you to stand right now as we worship together. This is kind of a newer song. We introduced it last week. It's called Living Hope. So let's just start in the chorus. We'll sing that a couple times and then we'll sing through the song.